we are in the backside of the sermon series in Mark chapter 2. And the first week we talked about the fact that Jesus has all authority over all things. And last week, we laid out a significant challenge before you, didn't we? We challenged you to be world changers. We noticed that there's a needy person in the story, and certainly we all are needy uh, of Jesus. But we also noticed that there are world changers. There are people who get up and bring people to Jesus. We noticed that there are complainers. There's always somebody complaining when God is at work. And they're upset about this or they're upset about that, but there's always complainers. And then we also discovered that there's people who watch. There's spectators. And so we challenged ourselves last week, didn't we? That we don't want to be a a group. We don't want to be a church body, a church family that's made up of spectators. We want to change the world. Well, this week, uh, we're going to be continuing to look at Mark chapter 2. But I want to begin by telling you a really neat experience that I had in the student ministry a couple of weeks ago. On Tuesday night, I had the really neat opportunity to just go and be with the students. And so I went and shared a little bit about myself. And then I asked them a question. And I asked them to write down for me one question that you have about God that really makes you struggle in your faith. You know, one thing that if you could just ask God a question, one thing that really uh, kind of catches you and makes you struggle in the faith, what question would that be? And I want to share with you uh, some of the answers that we got. If you're a student here, if I read your question, I'm not going to attach it to your name, okay? So your secret is safe. But I want to share with you some of the questions because they were They were really brilliant questions, and they were asked from a heart that's really searching. And so I want you to, I want you to know that your students are thinking about deep and important issues. Here's, and the three that I selected are all similar because they make a point that I want to open our message with. But here's the question. If God is real, then why does he make it so hard to believe in him? Why does God not just speak clearly out to us? Wouldn't that be nice? If you're praying and all of a sudden you get this audible voice, Zach, what are you doing? Are you crazy? Do the other thing, right? So that's what the student is thinking. Why does God not just speak clearly out to us? Why do we have to go through all these other different things like uh, dreams and, and, and things to get an answer? You may be thinking to yourself, well, I can answer that question. Well, it's not your turn to speak. It's my my turn. (laughs) Why doesn't God ever show himself in big ways, not like in nature or something like that? You know what these students are asking? How can I know? How can I know that God exists? Now, I, I, I read these questions because I'm going to answer them in partially. Now, I'm going to answer them fully in student ministry uh, in, in a couple of weeks ahead. But I want to answer them partially now. Because when you want to know, how do I know that an invisible God exists, you look for his effect. Right? You, let me put it like this. You don't really see the wind, but you see the effects of the wind. Right? Or let me use a different one this morning. It's very appropriate. Uh, You don't see gravity, but gravity exists and you can see the effects of it. Because some of you 
are going to go outside when the rain freezes. And you are going to come face to face with the reality of gravity, right? Because your, your feet are going to slip out from underneath you on ice. And can you see gravity? No. But you know it's there because you have experienced it, right? And, and so in a sense, the question that I want to ask this morning is, how can we know if we have been in the presence of the biblical Jesus? So if you're just jotting down notes this morning, I want you to really think about that phrase, biblical Jesus, because we, we're kind of guilty, aren't we, of creating a lot of different Jesuses. And I want for us to think about the biblical Jesus and how can we know that we've been in the presence of Jesus. That's what we're looking at this morning in Mark chapter 2. We're going to read the scripture again. Although if you were here last week or the week before, it's the same one. But if you're new today, this is the scripture that we've been looking at. And this morning we're asking the question, what are the results of being in the presence of of the biblical Jesus. And so verse 1 starts this way. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at, at home. And so many were gathered together that there was no more room and not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there. They were questioning in their hearts. These are the complainers, right? They were questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they were thus questioning within themselves, he said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Lord, this is your scripture. We're your people. We're your creation. And we just pray this morning, Lord, that we would do more than just get educated about what the Bible says. We pray that by the power of your word and the power of your spirit, that you would transform our lives. We pray this morning by what we look at in the scripture, by the truth of the word of God, that when we leave here, we would be more than educated, but we would be transformed. That's our prayer this morning. And so where we might be resisting you, Lord, give us the courage to submit. And we thank you for the word of God. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How do you know that you've been in the presence of Jesus? This morning we're going to look at three responses. So we've looked at who Jesus is and his authority. We've looked at the four types of people that we encounter in the scripture. And now this morning we're going to look at the different types of responses, the different things that happen when Jesus is near. Now the first is new life. The first is new life, and we find that in the scripture where he looks at this man, he sees faith, and he says, 
my son, your sins are forgiven. Now, if you're making notes, that's in verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. I've said this every week that we've looked at this passage, but I want to say it again for your hearing. This is the starting point for your faith journey. You must have your sins forgiven by Jesus. The lead pastor of the church cannot forgive your sins. You can't forgive your sins. The elders of the church can't forgive your sins. The scripture teaches that in Jesus Christ is life. There's many scriptures that would illustrate that point. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Jesus says in John 3.16 that he came so that people who would believe in him would have everlasting life. The book of Revelation tells the story of when all is said and done. When, when all is said and done, when eternity begins, life is found in Jesus Christ. And it's really a basic theological point to the Christian faith. But I want to bring it up again because it's such a point that is debated in today's world. Where do I find newness? Where do I find life? Where do I find the forgiveness of sins? And we talked about several weeks ago the reality that even to call things sin anymore is something that is debated. And and we're told that we can't call a specific action or a specific way of being sinful. And we remember in the scripture that Jesus does speak of sin. And so one of the results of being in the presence of Jesus is new life, is, 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 is the forgiveness of sins, verse 5. But another result of being in the presence of Jesus is what I call the restoration of life or healing or wholeness. And now maybe some of you this morning are on one side of the pendulum or the other. Maybe you're on this side and you're saying, oh, I hope he doesn't talk about healings in church. Because I am so uncomfortable talking about the fact that God can literally physically heal people. And then on the other side of this issue is the group that that's all they want to talk about, right? Is come forward and get your healing. But listen, I want you to see something. I want you to see that the greatest miracle that happens in this story is the forgiveness of sins. But that doesn't negate the fact that Jesus' heart towards this paralytic man, man is to bring restoration to his life. Now, I don't know if you have a physical problem or a relational problem, but here's what I want to say to you. And there's many things that we're going to be looking at this morning. So we're not going to just talk about this, but I want you to hear me very clearly. God cares about every aspect of your life. Does he care about your salvation? Absolutely. Does he care about the relationships that you have? Absolutely. If you have a physical problem, does he care about that? Absolutely. One thing I want to point out is in this scripture, Jesus uses the physical healing to point to his authority to forgive sin. He says, so that you will know that I have the ability to forgive sin. And then he heals the man. And so how do we know that Jesus has been near? Well, people's sins are forgiven. 
There's a newness of life. How do we know that Jesus has been near? There's a restoration of life. You know, I want to pull back the curtain a little bit. Let me look at my time and make sure I have time for a little soapbox here. I do. (laughs) One way to know that revival is breaking out in a church is not how many people come to the front. Because I got to tell you, us preachers, we're tricky people. And there's these little tricks that we can use to get all the people that we want to come forward. For instance, I could say right now, if you don't want to go to hell when you die, raise your hand. All right? Raise your hand. Okay, if you've raised your hand, I want you to come forward right now. And then we can, then, then we can go and on all of our social media accounts, We can say, the fellowship had revival. The altar was full. But did we? You want to know how you know when revival is breaking out? When things are happening that cannot be manufactured. And one of those is restoration and wholeness of life. Because we can't manufacture you repenting and getting right with the people around you, you see. And that's why God cares about our salvation, but he also cares about the restoration of being. The third thing that I want you to see about what happens when Jesus is around us and present with us, and some of the results of being around Jesus, is actually found towards the end. And if you look with me in verse 12, you will see the last result that we're looking at this morning is authentic worship and he rose and immediately he picked up his bed and he went out before them all so there's restoration of being and then immediately is the third result so that they were all amazed and they glorified God saying we have never saw anything like this before these people did not have to be did not have to be told to worship God they worshiped God because they saw what God was doing in and around them and they and they just began to worship God it was authentic and it was spontaneous and they they're looking at they're looking at God doing a work around them and they just began to be amazed and they began to glorify God and and here's the question that I would ask you and I don't I don't ask it in bitterness just in in a sense of caring do you have to be told to worship God now I don't mean when Earl says, let's all stand and worship. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is in a day-to-day routine, in a week-to-week routine, in a month-to-month routine, is worship present in your life in a consistent basis? Because for somebody who has the Spirit of God on the inside, when you are in the presence of God, you're a worshiper. You're a worshiper. We can look in the scripture and find place after place after place where the presence of God was made manifest to people and they just hit their face. And they just fell out and worshiped God because of how awesome and powerful and holy and majestic he is to be in his presence and to not worship him is an intriguing thing. 
And so that is, that's my question for you. Authentic worship. Are you an authentic worshiper? There was a, there was a guy who came one time and he was leading revival services, right? Where at the end we get everybody to the altar. <laughs> and I'm not against that, by the way. I hope that you've seen in the ministry since we've been here. I believe in coming to the altar. But the point is you can manufacture it and then there's honest ways to do it. But this guy says, uh, he, he's playing and he's leading out and he's preaching. And he says, well, listen, we're here to worship. And isn't God good? And uh, do you believe that in your heart that God is good? And then he says, I'll never forget this because at the time it really resonated with me. He says, then you need to alert your face. Because he's getting ready for Sunday service, right? He's got his guitar strapped on and he's looking out at a crowd of people. And, the, and, and I was guilty of it because I was not yet awake and something had happened. And I was just in kind of a crummy mood. And he said, but, but we need to alert our face, right? <laughs> that God is good. We're in his presence. And I think it's funny, but there's something more than that, right? Because when I'm not just asking you to smile when you walk in the worship center. Here's what I'm asking. Does your heart soar to the heavenly places when you begin to sing out the goodness of God? Authentic worship, right? And so the results of being in the presence of Jesus, we've looked in the scripture, there's three of them. There's new life, that's found when Jesus says, my son, your sins are forgiven. There's restoration of being, there's wholeness. That's when Jesus literally heals him of his physical ailment. And then there's authentic worship. And we find that in verse 12 when it says that they were amazed and they glorified God saying, we've never seen anything like this. Now, what I want to do is to kind of change the focus and look a little bit about at some observations of Jesus. Now, we've already done this a couple of weeks back and we observed that he has all authority. So we're not going to say that again. We're just going to remember that that's still true from two weeks ago. And then we're going to observe a couple of more things about Jesus. And the first thing that I want for us to observe about the Lord Jesus is that he responds to people. I want you to, I really want you to get this this morning. I want you to be so confident. I want you to, to really hear this with the ears of your heart. When, G, when people reach out to Jesus in faith, Jesus responds to them. You see that? These men, this paralytic, reached out in faith and Jesus responded. Of all the things that he could have said, he could have said, excuse me, can't you see I'm teaching here? Can you get in line please? Because I'm a very important guy. And there's a lot of people here that have gathered to hear me preach. And the audacity to you for you to think that you can cut in line when everybody else wants their miracle. Excuse me. That's not what he said. He responded to their faith. He responded to their need. And you may be here today thinking to yourself, I don't want to cry out to God because I'm afraid if he won't hear me. I'm afraid if I reach out that he won't reach out for me. 
Listen, the Bible says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And I want you to know that my Lord, the one that saved me, the one that took an old broken kid and fixed him up, gave him life, gave him a calling, gave him a purpose, my Jesus responds to people. And maybe that's all you needed today, was just to be reminded that the God of heaven, the one who made the heavens and earth, the one who not only makes it but maintains it, still responds to individuals who reach out in faith. So one of the observations about Jesus is that he responds to people. Another observation is that he values people over things. He values people over things. I always feel like I'm going to get in trouble when I say this. (laughs) But can we just acknowledge that these four men damaged property? (laughs) Can we just talk about this for a second? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And, And everybody who's like on the building and grounds crew here, it's like, don't do it, Zach. No, but think about this for a second, all right? This is a home. People live there. And these paralytic men, I don't know if they had a saw or what, I don't know, but somehow they created a hole in the the property. They damaged the property. Now, there's so much to be said. I just feel like I've got to do so much by way of explaining. But, But listen, here's the bottom line. If I were to take an hour to explain all of the ethical implications of this, here's the bottom line. Jesus cares about people more than he cares about things, right? Now, I'm not telling you to damage the church's property, okay? And I'm not telling you that you need to damage anybody else's property. I just want for us to get the flavor and, 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 and to really kind of understand the character of Jesus, You know, again, we're talking about what he didn't say. He didn't say, well, I'm going to heal this guy, but next time, can we please not tear a roof, a hole in the roof, right? He doesn't say those things. He sees their faith and he responds to that. So there's, there's so many things to say about, I'm not giving you students or adults permission to go damage things. But what I'm saying is when, when he saw their passion for them to bring this hurting, broken man to him and they, that he saw that they refused to stop, they just had to get this guy into the presence of Jesus. He honored that. Jesus cares about people. Let me tell you something. He didn't die on a cross for a house. He died on a cross for souls. And one of the things that I already love about the fellowship is that I don't have to preach this to you because you already get it. You understand the importance of human beings. But that's an observation, right? Is that Jesus cared about people more than he cared about things. 
So the third is that Jesus was attractive. By attractive, what I don't mean is physically attractive. We know that Isaiah teaches against that, actually. I don't know how to say this other than to say Isaiah says, Jesus looked like a normal person. He didn't look like a king. He didn't stand out. In fact, if you're making physical judgments, you would say he was a commoner. You didn't look at him and say he's the king of kings and lord of lords. So what I mean when I say that Jesus was attractive is that he was attractive in the sense that people rushed to him. That house was full. He would go into a place, into a town, into a village, and everybody would come out. Now, did they all have good motives? No, probably not. Some of them wanted their miracle. They had no desire of worshiping Jesus or following him. But people were attracted to him. And that's not just in Mark 2. You can read through the Gospels and you discover that people gathered around Jesus. That tells me something. That tells me that one of the important things for us to understand about Jesus is that lost, broken people felt comfortable coming into his presence. I remember the first time that I surrendered my life to Jesus. And for so long I had tried to avoid his presence because I thought that God hated me. And I remember the day that I discovered that even in my brokenness, he just wanted me to come to him. I will never forget what it felt like to feel accepted by the God who made me. And I think about all the people in the Gospels that ran to Jesus, that didn't have life together, hadn't figured out life. They were broken and hurting people. And they ran into his presence. And even people would try to stop him. Remember the blind man on the side of the road? He's calling out. And the people are yelling at him to be quiet. And he screams louder. And what he finds in the presence of God is a loving creator. May we never forget, those of us who have a relationship with God, may we never forget That there are people who aren't yet sure that they're welcome in the presence of Jesus. If that's you today, if you're here today, and you can barely get into the church building, let alone the presence of God, listen to me. Your creator just wants you to run to him. That's what he wants. There are three questions that I want for us to think about before we close. Because we look at these results, right? And we think about being a world changer and we look at these results. We look at the result of new life. And we look at the result of restored beings. We look at the results of authentic worship. And isn't it true that we know that we are supposed to be super excited about that happening to us and through us. 
right? Isn't the right church answer for all of us to say, oh, this is what I want so bad. I just want new life and I want to be restored and I want authentic worship. And then Lord, would you just do this work through me? We all know, right? That's what we're supposed to say. But the first question is this, what if I really don't care about these three results? What if I'm sitting here this morning looking at this scripture, looking at the word of God, looking at what happens when Jesus is in the vicinity, right? When Jesus visits people and I know that I'm supposed to be a world changer. I know that God wants to work through me, but I just honestly don't care if my friends have new life in Christ. I honestly don't care if true worship happens because of the way that God works through my life. What what if I just don't care? Well, if that's you, I want to I want to ask you to evaluate your spiritual condition. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because if this is you, I don't want you to feel like I'm bearing down on you because if this is you, the last thing you need is some preacher yelling at you, right? So I don't want to be that guy. But here's what I do want. If you can see the results in this scripture and it not move you to say, God, would you do this through my life? I believe you need to evaluate where you stand with God. And maybe you would say, I, I honestly have received Christ as my Savior. I honestly am a, am a believer and a follower of Jesus. Then, then I would say this. Are you burnt out? Because you know, one of the signs of being burnt out in life is that everything just gets numb. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in burnout mode where you're Well, you're looking at a thing and you're like, this thing should be so important to me, but I've got nothing on the inside, right? I'm so burnt. I'm so tired. I'm so exhausted that things that should be important to me are just no longer important. Look, maybe you're burnt out. And maybe as we look at this passage week after week and we see the awesome things that God does through these world changers and you're looking at it and you're saying intellectually it makes sense but I'm just not moved towards there maybe maybe you're burnt out maybe you need a season of rest maybe if you're looking at this and you're saying I'm thinking about my coworker, ah, there's nothing there I don't feel compelled or maybe if you're a student you're saying I'm thinking about the person sitting in my math class I know they need, ah, there's just nothing there. Maybe you're, maybe you're living in burnout and you need to schedule a time to rest and just really reconnect with God because here's the thing. I'll say this and then we'll move on to the next question. Here's the deal. For whatever reason, God has decided that the kingdom of God is going to move forward through us. We, we are God's strategy, right? We, as the fellowship, we are the way that God has chosen to bring the gospel to the nations. And so we need to be prepared for that. And today, if you say, I just don't care about these results, two things. Evaluate your spiritual condition and ask yourself, am I living in burnout? And if you're living in burnout, let's get you help. The second question, what if... 
What if I need these things myself? What if you're looking at the scripture this morning and you're saying, yes, the forgiveness of sins. Yes, this man was made whole. And yes, authentic worship. And you're looking at this and you're looking at it not through the prism of what might be able to happen through your life, but you're looking at it going, oh, this is what I need. Oh, I need the Lord to forgive my sins or I need the Lord to restore me or I need to come back to true and authentic worship. What if today's message was not about what needs to happen through you, but it's what needs to happen in you? What if I need these things personally? I invite you to Jesus. There's a song we're going to, at the offering, the choir's going to sing. And here's a lyric from their song. Come lay your heavy load down at the master's feet. Your shame will be removed and your joy will be complete. Maybe today you need to step in faith towards Jesus And you need to lay your burden at the feet of Jesus. And if you're here today and you say, oh, that sounds so good. I just don't know how to do that. Let's connect after the service. Let's talk about what that looks like. Maybe you need to do that and and in a moment you come forward and just kneel. Because I'm not going to make everybody raise their hand and come down, right? I'm not going to do that to you. I've already criticized that method. But maybe you need to come forward. Maybe you need to come to the altar and lay your burden down and in the presence of the Lord say, I'm coming back to authentic worship. I'm coming before you, Lord, for you to restore me. The last question is, what if I care? But pastor, I just can't add anything else to my life right now. I've got kids running everywhere. Maybe you don't have kids, you've got a job that's got you busy. My calendar is full, my life is full. I would love for new life to happen because of God's work through me. I would love for restoration to happen because of God's work in me. I would love for authentic worship to happen because of God's work. I just don't have any more time. You been there? I want to say two things to you if that's where you're at. One, I'm not asking you to do anything more. I'm asking you to be. To be the person that God uses to touch people's life. Isn't it stressful when you feel like the preacher is asking you to do more stuff? Yes, because I've been in your seat and I'm thinking, oh, the pastor wants me to do this and more and more and more. No, no, release that. What the pastor is saying is to consider that God doesn't want you to do more things. He wants you to be. He wants you to be the vessel. Just like these four men were the vessel. He just wants you to be the vessel. He wants to pour his love through you. We're going to pray in a second and uh, have a time of just reflection and just prayer. And as I said, you're going to be invited to come to the altar and to pray, to weep, to do whatever it is that you need to do this morning in the presence of God. 
But I want to close our time this morning by expressing my love for you and how I long to see all of us being this type of person that just by very virtue of walking with God, the people around us experience new life and restoration. And they look at what God is doing in our life and they're amazed and they glorify God saying, we have never seen anything like that before. Let me ask you to stand where you are if you would. And if you want to come forward, come forward. You're welcome to come forward and pray. But I want to lead us through just a time of prayer. Whether you come to the altar or not. I want to ask you just to pray with me a little bit. And the first thing that I want to do is to just invite you to just talk to God for a second. And if there's something holding you back this morning from taking a step of faith towards the Lord, I'm just going to ask you to just tell God that. Would you just confess to God what it is? If there's anything in your life holding you back, would you just share that with the Lord this morning? Before we take the offering, I I want for us to also pray as our time of response and just thank the Lord. Can we just thank the Lord together that he loves people, that he responds to people? Can we just thank the Lord this morning that he is the one who forgives sin and he wants to forgive sin? Can we thank the Lord this morning that he puts our lives back together, that he steps into our chaotic moments and speaks peace and brings wholeness. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We're so grateful that you're with us today. We thank you for your blessing and the results that come just by virtue of you being among us. You're good to us. We thank you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.